Hello everyone and welcome to episode 328 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cypher series. How are you, Al? Well, I've got my own incredibly supportive writing community around yeah. me still. They're all yes. still home doing their thing. <laughs> yes. um, so I'm okay. But you know what I have been doing, and what? I know that you will laugh at this, mm. um, is that I've been like, for someone who hates being on video, and we talked about this last week, I think, oh, I yeah. have been videoing out the wazoo. I I've have seen, noticed. I've seen more of my face mm. on across various platforms and various things than I have ever seen in my whole life, I think. And um, I'm not loving it, but I am getting over myself, as we discussed I would do, mm-hmm. and I am getting it done. So I'm quite proud of myself from that perspective because, you know, we've it's not my happy place, but I'm doing it. I'm getting in there. And I've got, a, I've got more to do this week. I've been asked to do a whole bunch of promo stuff. And uh, so I'm going mm. to be, you know, sitting in my garden. And it was quite funny because I was doing a – I was doing a little video yesterday. I was sitting out in my garden and I was doing a little video for uh, the sales team for Penguin Random House, which is um, obviously the publisher of my new book, which is coming out in September, so the Firestar. So I'm sitting out there and I'm waxing lyrical about the inspiration behind the book and, you know, why I wrote it the way I wrote it and all the various things that I'm doing. And um, and I can see myself, you know, obviously reflected in the in the camera, in the in the iPhone. And I, did, I see like ProcrastiPup just kind of, wanders along behind me and then wanders back again and then Cute. wanders over to have a little look at what I'm doing and then wanders off again. And I thought, I wonder if I should, you know, do that again without my co-star. And then I thought, you know what, surely everything is better with dogs. So Absolutely. I'm going to leave, I'm just going to leave him in there. So he's, For you know, sure. he's assisting me with my videoing. Oh, yeah, because I think anyone who does the Business of Freelancing course, I've received a couple of emails saying, love the cameo from your cat, Rex, because <laughs> he wanders through the back and oh, I think one of the videos. Well, I, think, I think pets have become like a, a feature of most people's like work Zoom meetings and I think that it's oh, actually yeah. a really good thing because, you know, it breaks it all up. It gives it gives you something to look at that's not someone else's talking head. So that's, that's the thing. Right. I, like somebody asked me the other day if I was going to do some um, author visits, you know, via Zoom or via whatever. Mm. And um, I'm not I'm not averse to the idea, but I'm trying to think of a way that I can do it that is not just my talking head, because right. I can't think of anything more boring for kids than my talking head. Like, you know, when I do these presentations in in a classroom or something, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waving my arms and I'm throwing myself about and I'm wandering around and I'm, you know, doing various things. And I've obviously got a, a PowerPoint presentation, which makes, you know, the 10 keys to writing mm. a great story really exciting. And I, you know, I've just got to figure out how I can do all of that. I figured Maybe. it out. Oh, okay. Tell me. So, when I do my, you know, everyone's doing Zoom video conferencing calls now. So yeah. you can change your Zoom background. So my Zoom background is my baby cat, Rexy. Right. It's so cute. You should see Oh, you, so you think that's what I need to do is put a, do you think that's <laughs> going to be enough? I don't think that a cute background with my dog in it is going to be enough to sustain them for an hour. Oh, well, Rexy is because he's so perfect. Oh, right, of course. You know, she's <laughs> such a cat parent. Seriously? <laughs> cat parent. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's what I'm You can change it up, mind. you know, different photos of Rexy. Like you can change his in background in different the photos of, of Rexy. Are you just going to send me a whole suite of Rex photos that I can yeah. just put behind myself? Yes. I did that to my <laughs> friend yesterday and um, she was using them on her. They weren't actually of uh, Rexy, but she asked me for some Zoom backgrounds because she wanted Zoom backgrounds of my artwork, interestingly enough. And oh. so I sent her a bunch of those. So she's using them in her um, conference calls. But I'm more than happy for people to use Rexy. Okay, I'm going to decline the offer of Rexy and I'm going to keep no. thinking about how I'm going to do this because I honestly mm. know I, I can't be sitting there with a cat on my shoulder. It's not going to work for me. Well, yeah, you can, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to uh, the world of writing and publishing this week. We have a whole bunch of awesome guest posts over on the blog at the Australian Writers' Centre. 
Um, so Andrew Datto has written an awesome uh, post on writing funny books for kids. And, of course, Andrew Datto, who first, you know, <laughs> if you're old enough, you'll remember <laughs> when he burst onto our screens. Um, I think he was the host of MTV back in the day when he was very young. Uh, and now he and he's obviously then evolved into a television presenter and, of course, a very successful children's book author. Um, and he's written a great post which you can check out on our blog, um, over at writercenter.com.au and then just click on the blog about writing funny stories for kids because of course kids can be um you know you really gotta you really gotta hit the mark right don't you Al? Well you do but you know the thing I really like about this post is that he talks about the importance of you know like because a lot of people there's a there's a disappointing kind of idea that people think that those kinds of books, like Andrew writes, those funny books where, you know, with illustrations and that they're somehow lesser for kids than, you know, important literature. And it's – I can't think of a more important thing at the moment for kids than laughing because when the world around you is a little bit crazy, being able to disappear into a world that is silly and ridiculous and, you know, hilarious is one of the best things that you can do. And it's interesting because in the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group, a lot of parents are saying that kids um, of all ages have, even if they were, you know, reading, you know, sort of prize-winning novels for children, have retreated to, you know, it's like, oh, you know, he was doing this and now he's gone back to Wimpy Kid or, you know, she was doing that and now she's gone back to Treehouse. And I can totally understand why kids do that because it's a familiar world it's a funny world they know it's all going to turn out all right and when everything is weird around you that is what you want as a kid um but actually getting that right is incredibly difficult anyone who has ever tried writing a funny story for kids and i did this remember we talked about this Mm. last year when i wrote the little story for total quack up too. There was this thing of like, I had never, ever tried to write a story like that before. And so when I was asked to do it, I was like, I look, you know what, I'm going to see if I can before I say yes. Because there was this notion of, I don't know if I know what kids think is funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that whole thing, even though I have kids and they're here and they're laughing all the time, the things they find funny are just sometimes gobsmacking to me. Like the things that um, book boy junior, like he's 13, the thing he will come out and show me a thing on YouTube and he'll be like, just like cracking up. I'm looking at this thing going, I, I'm not getting it. I don't get what this is all about, you know, um, which is fine. He thinks it's funny that I don't get it. So therefore we have two you know, levels of laughter. Um, but when I sat down to write that story, it was sort of like, what, how do I do this? And it was about finding something within myself and then making that universal. And he talks about in this post, Andrew talks about um, that the, you know, is there a secret to writing last for kids? He's Mm -hmm. not sure that there is, but one thing that seems to work is taking a true story and extending it, exaggerating it until it's at the point of almost absurd. And I think Tristan Banks talked about this as well when we talked when we interviewed him um, yeah. ages ago, like a thousand episodes ago. There's a, we have done at least a thousand episodes, haven't we? <laughs> um, at least a thousand episodes when he was talking about the My Life series, and he was saying that he basically took things that had happened to him as a kid yeah. that he remembered those big because you know you don't remember you have days and days and days you don't remember as a kid, but then those things happen and they stay with you for life. So he takes those things and he just exaggerates them um, and kids, and that's what, you know, makes it funny. You know, if you give kids a scenario where they can imagine themselves being involved in something and then you take it a few steps further than that. And that is why Wimpy Kid works so well, I think, if you've ever read one of those. It's that whole notion of like anyone could be that guy, but this is the worst possible case scenario for that guy every single mm. time, you know, and so it's funny. Um, and I think it's a great uh, – this is a really good post and I think that, you know, the fact that so many kids are retreating to these kinds of stories just shows you the value um, that they find in them and I think it's, you know, it's great. And I, I, Andrew writes a great story. Like he's, you know, as you say, I remember him too because I am also that old. Um, <laughs> But these stories that he writes are, are great and they're fun and there's a, you know, a whole kind of, you know, there's a great narrative arc to them and they're, you know, great job. So I thought it was a terrific post. I love it. 
Yeah, definitely. Another guest post that we've got on the Australian Writer Centre blog is by Leah Swan, whose latest book is Shearwater, uh, published by HarperCollins. And she's written a post, which is really interesting, on um, why fiction is needed more than ever right now. Because in this time, you know, this unusual time that we're going through, I'm certainly seeing an increase in the number of books that people in my circle, some of those who rarely buy books uh, are actually buying now you know yes yeah, definitely it's great they actually discover there's a whole bunch of people who have either been too busy or um just never just got nothing else to do right now um uh, are buying fiction some are buying non-fiction too of course but yeah they're buying fiction it's great well, I think it's, I mean, it just, it's escape. It's exactly the same as it yes. is with kids. We're looking for escape. And it's a really interesting thing to see what kinds of worlds people are choosing to escape into, mm. what sorts of stories they're after. I am just looking for stories at the moment that, I mean, you know, I'm writing again. So, um, you know, when I do my writing, I tend to um, I think there's a real pattern with this and you will have noticed this as we, um, if you've listened to our thousand plus episodes, um, is I am consuming crime fiction again, like it's going out of fashion because that's what I look for, you know, subconsciously when I'm writing a story. Um, and it's, it's the strong plot that drives, it's the narrative arc that drives me. And it's as far away as possible from writing for children as I can get, I think mm. is why I'm doing it. Um, and so I'm I'm doing that. But the other thing I'm finding is that I had thought to myself that I would read ebooks. Like I was all set, you know, I'm all set up with the library to borrow books and um and I was at one stage there consuming a lot of fiction via that, you know, via the borrow box app through my library and via my Kindle app on my um on my iPad and stuff like that. But I have retreated back to printed books um mm. in a big way, in a big way. And I'm sure it's because I am spending so much time online with everything else, you know. Everything has gone online. Yes. Um, and so when I really just need to retreat from my screen, I am going to a book um, or I'm weeding the garden. Our garden is looking so good at the moment. Can um, you do my the, garden? Well, the boys are doing It's hilarious. You know that we have reached peak isolation yeah. when my boys are voluntarily saying, I think I'm going to go and weed the garden. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Seriously. And like the builder and I are both just like, I, this is good. We could have another couple of weeks of this and we'll have the entire thing sorted out, you know. It's really, really yes. good. Um, so there's a lot of like because we've got quite a sizable garden so at least yes. we've got a space to go. So I'm retreating to the garden and I'm retreating to printed books. Yes. Um, yeah. I, the, my, the problem at the moment is I still haven't got reading glasses that I'm comfortable with. I've got, oh, I've got multiple pairs and so unless the writing's quite big, um, it's I can't do it for a long period of time and I actually – but I can on the screen or Kindle yeah. or – Yeah, because you can whatever. make it 28 point if exactly. you need to. <laughs> I just can't – I've spent a fortune on it and I can't seem to get it right. Anyway, that's just my woes of the week. Um, let's move on <laughs> to – this is a really good one um, by Vanessa McCausland uh, on why writing fiction and journaling can be helpful. I'm a big fan of journaling and Vanessa is, of course, the author – her latest book is The Lost Summers of – of Driftwood, The Lost hmm. Summers of Driftwood. And, um, what a lovely title. Isn't that a lovely it title? Is, and and it's it, actually the cover's cover. beautiful. So yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, yeah. You just, you just, nice work, HarperCollins. Very mm, nice. You want to just pick it up and, yeah, it's mm. gorgeous. So I think that journaling is a wonderful way to, A, um, just spew out what's in your head, B, get clarity, whether that's clarity on your life or clarity on your character's fictional life. I think it's a wonderful way to to get clarity because once you spew it out there, things just sort of magically form in your brain. It's really weird. Um, mm -hmm. And also just as, as an exercise because even if you're not searching for clarity on your life or your character's life, the act of journaling tends to bring up the stuff that you require clarity on. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big, big fan of journaling, um, mm -hmm. whether you are a fiction writer or not, but particularly if you're a fiction writer because it helps you unravel a lot of 
things. It helps you unravel plots. It helps you see clearly for the way forward for um, uh, your structure and, as I said, your character in particular because you're writing often about their motivation. You're writing about their quest. You're writing about where it is they want to go and how they need to get there. Um, and so if you're stuck at any point in your in your story, take the pressure off. Don't write the actual story. Write just what you think about the story mm. and often that will help. So I think that that's a – I think journaling is is definitely a good one. Excellent. As, as is taking a shower. Yes, well, we've talked yes. about your showers. I don't think we need to discuss your showers at length <laughs> anymore. No one needs that. No one. But I will say, I, I have to say that um, I'm loving the um, – I love the guest posting and I'm loving the strategy of guest posting for these authors to bring their work to the attention of other people. I think it's it can be a really useful thing to do as an author. I think it's very, very important to think about where you're putting your guest posts so that you actually, you know, get a useful kind of um, get some use out of them. Otherwise, you're just providing content to other people for nothing. So think about where your posts are going and why you're doing it. Um, but also, um, I think it's really important to think about what it is that you're going to write for those publications mm. and how you can bring attention to your novel through what you are writing for other people. So yes. it's really important to give some thought to those sorts of things. But I think it, guest posting is a great strategy um, or it can be a great strategy um, as long as you are, you know, putting a good amount of thought behind why you're doing it and where you're doing it. Don't yes, you think? absolutely. Hmm. And one thing that you've mentioned before, Alison, is um, when you're writing your guest post, particularly if you're doing it because you have a book coming up, make sure you incorporate name of said book. <laughs> yeah, really. Somewhere in the post. Somewhere in the post. And, that's and, the whole and even more so than name of said book, let's get some idea of of like get get you and your book into the meat of the story, mm. not just you know the bio at the end or the whatever because you have to be where people are actively reading the story not just, you know, tacked on at the bottom. And my other thing that I would say too, so there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here. I probably need to write a blog post about this, but the other thing to think about seriously is making sure that when you negotiate the guest post, because you are negotiating, you need to make sure you pitch a really strong idea, particularly Mm. if you are pitching to an established blog, like, or an established site, that's probably getting a lot of pitches. Um, They don't have to run your story just because you want to write it. So think Mm. about, you know, think about the pitch of the story, make sure you have a look at what other kinds of stories or other kind of guest posts that blog is actually actively running. Because if you're pitching well, it's like pitching any publication. You want to make sure that you're pitching something that is going to serve your purpose, but is also going to serve the readers of that website or that blog, because otherwise it's not going to get up at all. Um, And the other thing that I would make sure I do is make sure you negotiate a book cover image somewhere in your bio make sure they run the cover of your book yes yes yes. not just your headshot or you know what a headshot whatever like headshots okay great whatever the cover of the book is what you want on that post importantly supply it supply the cover yeah (laughs) yes there is that don't expect them to run it if you do not supply it no, that's right. Send the cover or at least send them a link to where they can download it or something. Like yes, you've got course. to actually make it – You like the thing you want to do here is make it as easy as possible for these people to put your post up because I, I know for a fact that when people pitch me about guest posts mm-hmm. and I like the idea and I go back to them and I say, fantastic, I need 600 to 800 words. If When you get it to me, I will run it. As long as yes. I have everything I need, I will put it up straight away. So yeah. Yeah, it's up to you then to get me the post, to get me everything I need, to provide me with the links, and, and I will keep my end of the bargain, which is probably putting it up that day or the next day. Yeah. So, and also, and also yeah. supply your bio. I've received guest oh, posts yeah. where the bio is not even supplied. Yeah, supply the bio. Supply the bio, supply the links that you want in there. But don't supply everything. This is the other thing. You'd... The, the person at the other end doesn't need every single link that you have ever 
you know, yes. created. We don't necessarily like we what we basically probably need is your website link. This is why you must have your website in good shape. Mm. And, you know, depending on the blog, maybe a couple of social media links because some do run that and some don't have a look at what they've run before. Um, and, you know, and a book cover and off you go. Yep, absolutely. All right. And um, yeah, if you are uh, an author and you would like to guest post on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, then send me an email at podcast at writerscentre.com.au. And um, send a very strong pitch because yeah. Valerie's going to read it. <laughs> send it. Not to put any pressure on you or anything. <laughs> but you are sending it to the pitch queen and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have three copies of Up on Horseshoe Hill by Penelope Janu, who is, of course, a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre um, and we love Penelope. So Jemima Kincaid is happy in the close-knit rural community of Horseshoe Hill, which rallied around in her hour of need. Even so, she is fiercely independent and will never rely on anyone again, particularly a man like Finn Blackwood. An infuriatingly attractive geneticist and wild animal vet, Finn threatens not only the serenity of Jemima's present, but that of the future she has so carefully mapped out. As the past begins to cast long shadows, Jemima and Finn discover that a kiss can bring worlds together or tear them apart. So we have three copies to give away. And of course, Penelope has been on our uh, podcast before. So you can check out previous episodes where she's had a chat with us. She's written so many books now. I love that she just started with, of course, the Australian Writers' Centre because her daughter, Tamsin Janu, who is an award-winning uh, author, children's author as well, um, suggested that she do it um, after Tamsin did, of course. And the rest is history, so to speak. So up on Horseshoe Hill, entries close um, on the 4th of May. And you can enter at writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. All right. Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, Valerie, I'm always ready. Okay. Ascetic. A-S-C-E-T-I-C. Ascetic. Do you know that word? I do know that word. Okay. I wrote, I wrote just, I would just like to remind you that I wrote two children's novels where the uh, oh, main yes. character came out of a monastery. Yes, true. So, okay. yes, I do. So, it does sound like a medicine, but it's not. This refers to someone who lives a life of austerity, often for religious reasons, hence Alison's reference. So, you might say she lived a simple and ascetic life in the mountains. There you mm. go. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to our writer in residence this week? Please do. This is something a bit different. We're talking to B.G. Hilton, otherwise known as Ben Hilton, who has written a book set in the steampunk genre, and it's such mm. an unusual and different genre. I thought it was worth exploration. So his book is Champagne Charlie and the Amazing Gladys. Let's have a chat to B.G. Hilton. Thanks for joining us today, Ben. Oh, my pleasure. Congratulations on your debut novel, Champagne Charlie and the Amazing Gladys, which you've written under the name B.G. Hilton, um, and it is out now. Very, very exciting. So for people who haven't read your book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Well, it's a sort of a, a steampunk adventure story. Um, steampunk, if you're not familiar with it, is sort of science fiction but set in uh, Victorian times. So sort of very high technology stuff, but it's it's powered by steam. It's powered by sort of uh, pistons and engines and things like that. Um, the story tell, It tells a story of um, Edward de Charles, who's a, um, a well-meaning but not very bright aristocrat who decides to solve a murder. Uh, and he happens to fall in with a woman called Gladys Dunchurch, who's a, an Australian stage magician's assistant who's trying to find her missing employer. And the two of them discover that their respective mysteries are somehow connected to a mysterious conspiracy. And there's all sorts of crazy steampunk stuff with <laughs> flying machines and submarines and things of that nature. Sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, oh, yeah. how, how in the world did you think of this idea? Uh the central idea came to me fairly quickly. I was um, 
I, I was writing for, I started writing it for NaNoWriMo many years ago. I didn't, I didn't win. Um, it took quite a long time to write. Uh, mm-hmm. But someone asked me, what are you writing a story about? And I said, um, in Victorian London, a drunken aristocrat and a stage magician's assistant save the world from space aliens. And that was just the first <laughs> thing that popped into mind. And somehow that, that survived several drafts and is still the central premise of the book. Brilliant. Now, there are some people who are into steampunk and know exactly what you're referring to, and for some people it is fairly foreign to them. Now, I go, I suppose some references to movies could be um, you know, The Time Machine, would that be one of them? Um, oh, very the, much so. Back, yeah. back when Rod Taylor was in The Time Machine. Um I remember, and so I've, I've always, it's always been on the periphery of my consciousness and I've kind of known the look, but I happened to stumble into a party of oh, like a thousand people <laughs> in Austin, Texas, and I was literally the only person not dressed to the hilt in steampunk. I thought I had gone into a wormhole, into a parallel universe, but it was utterly fascinating. Now, can you tell us, because obviously you must be steeped in this subculture and a fan of steampunk in order to write an entire novel about it, can you just tell us how this came about and what some of the key tenets are for steampunk? Um, I'm going to be a little honest. Here. I don't, I'm not, I've only sort of, I don't do a lot of the, the cosplay stuff. I've done a little bit, but um, basically it's sort of, it came up, um, as you say, you mentioned uh, the time machine. Mm. Through the 60s, you start seeing all of those sort of H.G. Uh, uh, Wells, Jules Verne things being reinterpreted for modern audiences. And I think that sort of, that reinterpretation more than the original is sort of the basis of it, of the uh, the aesthetic. Uh, and then in the in the 80s, you see more and more of these book, sort of books being published, although the, the, ty- the, the, um, the name Steampunk hasn't come about. And then I think in the 90s, people are getting more and more into cosplay, and that's where the whole dress up element came from and I which I which I haven't done much of but I quite enjoy um <laughs> but I hear you own a top hat I do own a top hat I <laughs> I was incredibly broke when I bought that and I could barely justify it was it was I forget how much it was but it was more than I could afford and I, I mm. kept looking at it at this shop and sort of until I eventually broke down and bought it and and lived on uh, noodles for the next month um <laughs> but uh, uh, that was, I was a student at the time um but yeah, I do own a top hat and I do own a waistcoat, and I've been to a couple of, of steampunk gatherings. But I, I'm I'm um, I'm not the most sociable of people, so I haven't done a lot of as much of that as some other people have. One of the things I was hoping for when I when I wrote the book was to basically to give myself an excuse to go to steampunk gatherings, you know, so I could I could uh, set up a stall. And um, ah. yeah, that fell through. I said, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, I know. I'm one of those people that has to sort of force himself to be into social situations, and that was um, yeah. I'm, that's one of the things that I'm regretting about uh, the timing of the novel coming out. So well, we're 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 thrilled to be able to support you, even if you can't have actual physical launches and stuff like that. So tell me a bit about um, when did you know you wanted to write? Very very young, very young. I I remember trying to write a novel when I was a a teenager. Somewhere I still have the typewritten pages, although they're desperately embarrassing to read now, obviously. Um, But. I never really took it seriously until I um, I went to uni as a mature student and I took um, first year creative writing more or less because I thought it'd be a you know a blood subject you know that's easy. <laughs> to get a pass. I did. I thought well I can get a I can write okay I can get a pass on that without too much effort and and they gave me a mark of eighty four which is the most annoying mark you can possibly get, you know, just short of a high distinction. And that was why oh, I thought, yes. well, I've got to, <laughs> I've really got to try it this harder in order to, <laughs> and I know that's a, that's a really stupid way into it, but that's, that's, uh, but that got me going. And then I thought, well, maybe I should try to publish some of these things. And I've had some success with the short stories and then finally the novel. Yeah. So before, before this novel came out, um, and obviously you, you said you started it with NaNoWriMo and have been working on it over a period of time, on a practical level, mm-hmm. you, I assume you have a day job and how did you, where and when did you work in your writing time? Is it something that was just whenever or did you structure your time so that you had a dedicated you know, um, duration that you, that you did your writing? Um, I, no, I, I didn't, I, I've never had a very, um, 
uh, disciplined. I, I'm, a, I'm an opportunistic writer. When, when the opportunity comes up to, to, to do some writing, I do it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, between between starting to write this and actually get it published was many years and and uh, i've had you know several jobs in that time i'm a um uh, i'm a casual teacher now or i would be if the schools were open mm-hmm. um but uh, you know everything everything at the same time uh but um uh yeah so i i when i started writing this when i sat down to write it i was a single man i was working part-time um my uni studies had just finished for the year i thought i got all the time in the world about a week into it, I decided seeing someone, and then all of a sudden, my time was all over the place. And then this was—we're uh, now married and have a two-year-old daughter. That's sort of the time I'm talking about here. Um, so yeah, I, you, you just got to take your time when you, when you can find it. I, I particularly if you've got a two-year-old who's you know, won't always stick to the schedule you wanted to. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. Yeah. So if you did this over a period of years in a kind of ad hoc fashion, when did you know that you were ready to get it published? Um, that's a good question. I just, uh, I, I, um, hmm, uh, I don't really have a very good answer to that. I just kept going. <laughs> I, I was, even after I started looking around for a publisher, I was still sort of reworking. I mean, um, I, I think I, I had, at one stage, I think it was almost twice as long as it is now, and it's, it's yeah. it had to get uh, get cut back. Uh, but even then, I was looking for a publisher, and and um, I was sort of showing it to friends and people. Uh, one of the bits of feedback I got was a friend who I gave it to and basically didn't read it and said, "That's ridiculously long. I'm not going to do that." And that's <laughs> seemed insulting at the time, but it was very good feedback, very useful. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, that's, yeah, it certainly is. Um, all right, so in, when you started it, you know, in the initial part of NaNoWriMo, yeah. did you already know where the story was going to go or did you kind of just have a vague idea and just started writing and see where, where it ended up? I had I had very little idea of where it was going. Um, mm. It, I... When I was little, one of the first things I realized I needed to do was have a clear ending. I I was quite sure what I was doing with the beginning. Mm -hmm. And once I had a fairly clear ending, it was just a question of getting from that initial part to the end, which is more complicated than it sounds. Um, Oh, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, I I get it. Because, yeah, so characters who were all sort of, you know, careening off each other and going in different directions had to be sort of brought back together. yeah, I, in the end, I had to. Uh, oh, should, is that a spoiler? No, probably not. In no, the end, don't I had spoil to actually, it. <laughs> in the end, I had actually had to to mentally come up with some sort of secret plot for why there were so many coincidences to make people go the way I wanted them to go, so uh, so right. that I would, didn't feel so bad about it, um, <laughs> which is sort of hinted at in the novel, but I, I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> so you knew the beginning, you needed a clear idea of the ending, and you kind of had fun along the way writing the middle. So did you at any point plot it out or did you, you know, have some kind of, I don't know, index cards or post-it notes or did you just let it meander? I initially I started letting it meander. Then I just realized it was going to get too out of hand and that's when I started having to sort of organize it a little. And mm. I didn't, I didn't want to organize it too much because uh, uh, when I started trying to write a second novel, which I'm, I'm still working on, uh, I wrote, I, I very, did very clearly write out what the plot was going to be. And then I found that the book was about half as long as I wanted it to be because everyone just went straight from where they were going. Ah. Uh, so I sort of, I sort of need that meandering just to, um, you know, give it a bit of character, a bit of depth, uh, rather than just sort of this forced march of characters from point, point A to point, point B and so on. So yes. yeah, I, some sort of combination of sort of by the seat of your pants and, and, and planning in advance is what works for me best, I think. Mm. Now, in this steampunk world, there's certain contraptions, certain conventions, certain terminology that you need to, um, A, adhere to to uh, satisfy the steampunk fans and, B, keep consistent. So with A, how, how did you how, – what made you confident that you were going to – you know, satisfy the steampunk fans. And with B, did you have some kind of document or anything to keep your um, terms consistent and your ideas in check? Um, I don't. I don't have a document. I have. I had a big idea about how. Well, how the steampunk technology works in this was was one of the first things I I sorted. I, I thought of. Um, the idea is that it's based on an 
a very old-fashioned conception of how heat works from the 19th century called caloric theory, where the idea is that heat's actually a liquid that moves from place to place. And it's you can see how they thought that because it's sort of how it feels when heat's moving around. Um, and so that was sort of my starting point. And I thought as long as I can make that my the basis of how steampunk technology works, um, no one's going to ask you to go into the details very much. Mm. Um, that was I know that was a big argument between uh, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. Um, Verne insisted that all of his technology had to have, you know, a clear he, he had to clearly understand how it worked, whereas Wells would just sort of wave his hand and say it's a time machine. And uh, <laughs> uh, Byrne would get very cranky at Wells about this, and Wells would refer to Byrne as an old fusspot, I think. Um, and, but you, I, I, I'm not an engineer. I can't go too much into the depth of it. But as long as I, I sort of – I feel I can justify it to myself, I think I can sort of skate by on saying um, – this is roughly how it works. You can sort out the details in your head if it matters. It's. Mm. I think you've got to, yeah, again, so somewhere in the middle between those two extremes, I think, is the way to go. And so you said that you're writing this second book. Uh, is it a sequel or is it a different book and is it set in steampunk? Oh, no, it's it's not a steampunk book. It's it's a, um, it started out as a YA novel, but I think it's gotten too depressing for that, so I might have to make it for an adult audience. Um, and it's, it's, um, Loosely based on sort of the mythology of Frankenstein, but um, it's not tech- it's it's set in the modern day. It's not really a steampunk novel. There's there's a big I think a sort of a crossover between Frankensteiny and uh, sort of uh, technology. Particularly if you look at those old Hammer movies, they're all very steampunk in their um, mm. uh, depiction of Frankenstein's lab. But um, no, I don't think it's 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 exactly steampunk. No. Tell us about what your writing routine looks like when you're writing a novel. I understand, of course, with your first novel, it was a bit all over the place because of life. Now mm-hmm. that you're writing your second one and you're now a published author, um, do you have some kind of um, structure or purpose now to your writing, like a certain number of words that you want to achieve in a period or a certain number of hours that you want to sit down at the computer? What yeah, what does that look like? I don't try to go for a word count because um, sometimes you can accomplish more in a hundred words than you can in a thousand. It depends exactly what you're writing. I so. I um, I try to uh, I try to make sort of last one. I the, the first novel I was mostly running on stuff that I already knew the the, the ideas. Whereas this next one I need to I've been needing to do some research and so. Um, Sometimes you've just got to stop in the middle of something and say, I need to know more about this and come back to it. Then you skip to do something else, uh, which it, it's it's if I had a more routine situation, I could probably arrange that a bit better. But as it is, I've just got to sort of fit in reading where I can and writing where I can. And re- um, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little. Um, yeah. But that's that's sort of how I write. I I, um, I find sort of overriding to start with and then coming back and pruning it is mm. is a good way to do it. Um I, it, it, I need in my head all of these details that are going on that the reader doesn't necessarily need. Mm. And so if I've overwritten it, uh, if I know you know everything that's going on, each of the characters that are in the scene, then I can I can just explain the three most important characters to the reader, for example. Mm. And I like you know I do when I was young I used to like reading those sort of eight hundred page fantasy novels, but I don't want to write one. Uh, <laughs> it's, you, you don't I, I don't want to write that sort of level of um, um, of detail. And yes. I. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm again. I'm rambling. You can do that when you're writing. You can just sort of overwrite, then come back. But when you're talking, you have to sort of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now I know that you say you're not the most social person, and that you've only been to a handful of steampunk gatherings. Uh, but you've been to enough to to you know understand the oh, vibe yeah. and all of that. And uh, when even just the one that I went to, which I think was next level, these people are so into it. These people take it so seriously and really go to the nth degree. What do you think is so appealing about this subculture that people just get completely immersed in it? I think partly it's it's that sort of partly it is that sort of level of detail. We we are our design at the moment is sort of very minimalist. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking mm. at my ears, chat of drawers, and it's you know I could draw that with a ruler. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's I think it's that sort of you know richness of design that sort of uh, that sort of is appealing. That sort of uh, even the way people talked in those days, you know, it's a different, it's a richer sort of a language. There's, you know, it's wordier, of course, but it's, it's, there's so many more ways to express yourself than sort of, um, as I say, I'm a, I'm a, um, 
casual teacher. I'm used to being communicated with with sort of, you know, grunts and sort of side eyes. And, <laughs> but that sort of, you know, the idea that you could ex- use this huge vocabulary just to say something very simple about what's going on in your day, I think is appealing in this, you know, very sometimes oversimplified society that we live in. Mm. And of course, steampunk has a very specific aesthetic. So oh, yeah. while you were writing this book, did you have like, you know, pictures up for inspiration or or movies or, or movie posters or worlds up for inspiration around you in any way or did it, you just live in your head? It just lived in my head most. I, I, I do like um, some of those old movies, um, uh, 20,000 20, or 40,000. 20,000. 20,000. What a weird thing to forget. 20,000 Leagues <laughs> Under the Sea is one of my favourites and always has been. Um <laughs> Which I think is probably, the, I think the best steampunk movie. Um, but and I, but I'd watch I'd watch things like that, and that's you know keeps you in the vibe. But uh, no, mostly when I'm at my laptop, I'm just concentrating on the screen completely. You know, people tell me they put up stuff behind their computer to give them them um, inspiration. I I don't even notice what's there when I'm in the in my you know writing world. When you're in your writing world, where are you? Like, where's the best place or where do you like to write? Does it have to be in a particular spot or can you go to cafes? You know, do you write by hand or by computer? Uh, I usually write by computer. Uh, my handwriting is just appalling. Even I can't read it, so there's no okay. point in writing that way. Um, so I, I usually sit at my desk uh, or kitchen table and write. I used to sit in cafes too occasionally, obviously not at the moment. Mm. Um, but, um, but yeah, just somewhere nice and quiet. Um, yeah, uh, and and once 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 that's going properly, that's that's when I know that I'm doing good work. When I just the rest of the world just vanishes, and you know, there's nothing there but you know a screen in front of me, maybe a cup of tea, um, until the tea's empty and I don't even notice, you know, it's gone cold. And that's that's when you know that you, that's when I get the best work done. It doesn't always happen, which is why part of the reason I have to be sort of opportunistic. You know, if I if I if you plan for that every day, it's going to happen. But it only happen, but it doesn't happen every day. Then it gets, it does get a little depressing. Have you started other books in NaNoWriMo? As well, was, like like because you started this some years ago. Did you start other ones in the years since? I, <laughs> I tried one other time, and it's it yeah. um uh that yeah I just didn't have the time for it. It, it it's it really is writing that much per every day is just is really hard. Um, mm. and you can't go back and edit, which is which means that if you've decided that you know three chapters before the, one of your characters should have made a different decision, then that's it's too late to do anything about it. You just got to keep going in this direction, which is. Uh, which I find very difficult. Like I say, I like to. I, I'm editing is a very big part of my process, and I, I, if you can't go back and edit it, it, it really bothers me. Yes, tell me, tell me more about that. Do, do you write a certain amount and go back and edit it, or do you let? Do you just get out a first draft? Well, what did you do in this instance? Get out a first draft, and then what did the editing process look like? I have to sort of edit a bit while it's in first draft because, like, for plot editing, I mean, I don't. If there's a typo, there's a misplaced comma, there's, you know, I've, I've named someone the wrong name, then that can stay in for the first draft. But if I've made a, uh, a like a plot decision and I'm not happy with the direction that's taken everything, then I've basically got to go back and change that straight away, or it's just, I'm, it will bother me too much to keep going and then change it later. So, yeah, so plot decisions I, I had to keep going until I had that first draft. And then after that, I left the plot pretty much pretty much as it was and then was just working on um, improving the dialogue, you know, making making the descriptions better, things like that. Um, even when I was cutting down, I was cutting things out of the plot. I wasn't changing the plot overly. Just the reason it was very long was a lot of things were over-explained. So if those, those can go and let's mm. let, leave, leave, it, leave it to the, uh, the readers to, 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 to figure out, which usually, which, and which usually works, honestly. Yes. Um, I think, I think a lot of reasons, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit again, but a, a lot of writers, I think, particularly in sort of spec fiction genres, uh, try to don't accept that the audience will understand it unless they explain it in very great detail. And I, I, I don't think that's always necessary. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I have to get the plot right in the first draft. After that, I can come back and edit the rest. And when you do that, you've got the plot right now, you're, you're, you're satisfied to a certain level that you've got your plot right, and you've come back to edit. What is What does that actually look like? Do you, what did that in this book actually look like? Do you, do you go through the whole thing and how, at what point do you check for consistency? Um, did you put it away for like a year or something so that you could have a fresh I, you know, just on a practical level, what did that look like? Basically, I went through sort of 
linearly, just start from the beginning, go through to the end. First few drafts were sort of um, just taking out ex- extraneous stuff. Consistency is an important one. Going through that, making sure that everything fits out. I mean, right at the very end, just before the book came, just before the book came out, I realized there was a um, a major continuity error, and I had to fix it at the very last moment. A character noticed, it, read a clue, and then I remembered later that she was illiterate. So that I had to, <laughs> that was a very last minute. Mm-hmm. But um, you have to, yeah. So. so but mostly it's just sort of tightening things up. Reading dialogue out loud, I think, is an important one because sometimes yeah. it, it uh, particular read everything out loud is a good thing. But dialogue in particular, it's it's uh, if it doesn't sound right when you say it, it's hard to imagine a character saying it. Basically, clearing out the deadwood until there's nothing left but but you know the bit you're happy with. Is your wife into steampunk? No, she's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's not. She's uh, she's been very helpful, but she's she's not. Uh, she's not really into the steampunk very much. She did help me pick out some some nice steampunk things that I could put on my desk if I had a stall in a steampunk market. Oh, cool! Which was very very sweet of her, but but <laughs> I, I, unfortunately, a little also unnecessary. So, <laughs> well, we'll wait and see. Wait. And see. Yeah, wait and see. You never know, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no doubt the you know steampunk community will be back in force before we know it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, oh, they're, they're all busy making plague doctor masks at the moment. Is what I oh, understand. of course, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, uh, and finally, what is your what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to have their debut novel out one day? Uh, make make sure you're happy with it. Don't don't try to. Sometimes people tell me, "Oh, this is what's selling at the moment." I'm going to go with that. Right, if you're not happy with it, no one else is going to be happy with it. Keep trying. You know, I I don't know how many publishers I sent it to before I finally found uh, Odyssey Books. Mm. But yeah, just just keep trying. Uh, it's. I, I know it's easy to say, it's because it is very disappointing when you get those rejection letters in. Um, when I did get the final acceptance in, I thought it was a rejection, and uh, <laughs> I, I was reading it, and my, my wife said she thought I was having a stroke, because I <laughs> suddenly started sort of gasping and sort of choking. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> Not the gasping and choking, but... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Find someone who can give you good feedback and good feedback isn't necessarily feedback that you want to hear it might be oh this is too long i'm not reading it even yes (laughs) i wouldn't recommend giving it to a a wife a husband a girlfriend whatever Mm. just pick someone who because it when they give you feedback it sometimes hurts a little too much if it's if it's not nice yeah pick someone who can give some good feedback because you you need it it's it's easy to get sort of caught up in your writing and think this is the best thing ever if someone else reads it and says i don't understand what's going on here you need to know that yeah, definitely. All right, great advice. So congratulations on your book, Champagne Charlie and the Amazing Gladys. If you're uh, going to the bookshop or ordering it online, the author name is B.G. Hilton, otherwise known as Ben Hilton. And thank you so much for your time today, Ben. Thank you very much, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, BG Hilton. Now, of course, this is part of our debut author series and uh, we started, we kicked that off with Claire Bowditch and then we had Victoria McKinley and Danielle Binks and her great book and uh, now BG Hilton. And uh, the debut author series is um, a series that we're running right now because, of course, there are so many um, debut authors who have had their launches cancelled thanks to the current climate. So we're doing a little bit of a, um, what? how would you call it, uh, a virtual? We're being good literary citizens exactly. and supporting our people. That's what we're doing. Absolutely. And so more of those awesome authors coming up as well. So this brings us to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? 
what am I doing in the coming week? That is a very excellent question. I am probably doing pretty much what I'm doing now, <laughs> which, is, which is I've got the videoing to do, I've got the writing to do, I've got the, you know, just, just life goes on. And I, one of the things I'm finding most difficult about this whole thing mm-hmm. is just how similar every single day of my life is right now. Um, it's, you know, I've always been a creature of habit and routine. We know that. We've talked mm-hmm. about the importance of that in my writing career. Um, But in actual fact, I didn't realise, I just didn't realise how um, many other things I did until I wasn't doing them anymore. And now every single day of my life is Groundhog Day and it's bizarre. But anyway, (laughs) that's me. I will be groundhogging. What about you? I really need to, I am surrounded by so many books that a friend of mine said the other day, we really should clean this up. (laughs) Mm. And it's so true. And I'm just looking at them now and I really do need to get some semblance of um, order in my home office. So I think that will be my next major project. Maybe you need to have some giveaways or some, you know, you could be Mm. a book fairy like I did. That's how I cleaned mine out at the start of all this. Mm. I, uh, I, put a whole stack of books aside, took photos of them all, uploaded them to my friend WhatsApp group of local friends and said, Uh who wants what? And then I'm delivering on Friday. And then I took them all, I delivered them all and and dropped them off on people's front doorsteps on the Friday. And I was the book fairy. And I have to tell you, it was incredibly satisfying. Everybody loved it. And it was so beneficial for the clutter in my office. I can't tell you. Yes. So maybe you should do that. You need to be a book, have a book fairy moment. You see, this is where I become Nigel No Friends because when you move to an area, unlike you who's lived there for a very long time, you don't really have that many friends who live nearby. Oh, <laughs> you sad case. That's tragic. Well, have you got any children's books there? You can drop them off across the street for starters to your mates, your four friends over the road. Oh, yeah, that's um, so true. Yeah, I'm just, I forgot look, about that. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm thinking that you can find a way if you needed to. It's true. I do have neighbours. All right. I, that sounded pathetic. But okay. It really sounded pathetic. <laughs> just, oh, sorry. All right. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Of course, you'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobewriter.com.au and make sure that you join our wonderful listener community over on Facebook. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.